There's a spirit in our land raising up the kind of man with a burning in his heart to be free. Like the preacher man of old, he can't be bought, he can't be sold. What did they preach? They preached liberty to a people who love their liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights granted them at the time of their birth. The right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, from that law we will keep our people free. They called the king into accounting for his disregard of law Told their people not to yield before his threats For God established rulers to protect the rights of man And ordained government to fit into his plan To maintain his people's liberty time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, from that law, we will keep our people free, through the jewelry, we'll guard our liberty. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Voice of Liberty. This is Rick Tyler thanking you for tuning in. And we have a new week here ahead of us, and of course the times that we are living in are extraordinary to say the least. It is worthy of noting that as we begin our broadcast today that it's nothing new historically for people to think that they are living at the end of the age, or in other words, living in apocalyptic times when the world is likely to come to an end. The people thought that back in the time of the Apostle Paul. We know that uh, from the Scripture. And, of course, uh, today there are many people who believe that we are right at the culmination of of history, that uh, the final curtain is getting ready to fall at any time. And, of course, these beliefs are always predicated upon the supposed fulfillment of biblical prophecy. That's most often the, the guiding factor that leads people to the belief that the end of the age is nigh at hand. Now, of course, psychologically, one of the things that makes people want to believe that the end of the age is nigh at hand is as they see things uh, becoming more and more precarious relative to the conditions and circumstances that they are facing in their life and in their future, they want to believe that something that is outside of their own immediate sphere of control or, or ability to influence, that something is going to transpire that will, in effect, extricate them from what they perceive to be the otherwise dreadful, uh, calamitous circumstances that are getting ready to befall them and their loved ones in the not-too-distant future. And so, quite obviously... As we see the scales tip increasingly 
in the wrong direction concerning America and the Western world, it is a natural outgrowth of that phenomena and that observation to desire that there be some extraordinary development that would, in effect, constitute some type of deliverance out of these perilous circumstances that are encircling and engulfing us. Hence, once again, the propensity and the tendency towards a belief that prophecy has been and is being fulfilled before our very eyes and the likelihood is escalating and growing with great rapidity that the end of time, the end of the age, the end of history as we know it is coming to its grand finale. Now, of course, it's nothing new for uh, church organizations and, and teachers and preachers to, to engage in sermons and teachings to the effect that the end of the age is nigh at hand. In fact, it's quite a good moneymaker. It tends to line the pockets of and fill the coffers of religious or Christian organizations and Christian uh, preachers and teachers and broadcasters and authors because, face it, it makes for a good storyline. It, it sells well. It's chock full of suspense and drama and, and imminent danger, all of the things, the ingredients that make for a good storyline, a good narrative, a good production. Of course, also, it is commonplace in the modern Christian world for the parishioners, for the laymen, as they are called, to elevate individuals to an exalted status to put them on, the, on a pedestal and to believe that they have some kind of advanced inside track type knowledge, understanding, and information about spiritual truth, about biblical doctrine, about interpretation of prophecy, etc. And so we see big ministries that are built and developed around uh, the supposed capabilities of an expositor or a teacher uh, to extrapolate from the words of Scripture and then uh, weave it and tie it into current events and inform people as to the likelihood of the imminent uh, culmination of the age and the return of Christ. Now, let me say at this point that I would love nothing more than for there to be a second coming right, right now. I mean, bring it on. That would be great if it happened today. I would love nothing more than to see this, this great event transpire that would mark a transition into uh, the next phase or stage of, of God Almighty's plan for his people and for the ages. However, I have been around the block enough times in my own experience in life to know that, that there is a cyclical phenomenon where uh, people in any given time, they come to the belief that, that looming not too far on the horizon is this great event. And they begin to build and shape and construct all of their strategies and all of their philosophies and ideas around this supposed certainty. And then, of course, when it doesn't happen, instead of there being some type of tacit admission of error and maybe a revisiting of this subject to the extent that this cyclical mistake would not continue to be made, instead, people dust themselves off and go back to the drawing board and they uh, devise or concoct a new uh, strategy, if you will, to capitalize on the next looming uh, magical date that in their mind marks the evidence of the end of the age. 
Of course, this happened uh, back in the 1988 time period. Based on a uh, very specious notion, I might add, the, in 88, there was a prevailing belief that, that, now not many people actually were bold enough to set the date of 1988, although some did. One guy, Edgar Wisenot, wrote a, a little booklet called 88 Reasons Why Christ's Return in 88. But even those who did not set a specific date, uh, many kind of focused on 1988 in general. They would be very careful. They would parse their words and uh, be quick to tell people, now I'm not setting an exact date, but, and then they would go on with all of the, uh, you know, the, the ideas that would surround that, that keyword, but, you know, which people will, will utter. Again, the, the specious idea that the 88 fixation was based on was that in 1948, the United Nations had decreed Israel back into existence in the Middle East. And of course, the contemporary Christian world, which has fallen under a predominant eschatological teaching of a premillennial nature, the modern church in great numbers tended to believe that that somehow was a fulfillment of prophecy that it fulfilled a prophecy about uh, Israel uh, coming to a, in existence in a day, and, and they believed that uh, the prophecy regarding the fig tree blossoming, that this was being fulfilled in 1988, all because in 40, or in 48 rather, all because the United Nations had decreed modern Israel into existence. Again, this was somehow some kind of fulfillment of prophecy, and and because America was supportive of this and allowed the UN to be on its soil, and America, of course, subsequently always in the Security Council of the UN backed up and voted for Israel's interests, this somehow ensured that America would continue to curry the favor of God because, after all, we were blessing God's chosen people. Now, the theologians also alluded to a passage of a generation not passing after the blossoming of the fig tree until the end, and they calculated that 40 years roughly was a generation. So if the UN decreed Israel into existence in 48, then by 88, obviously, that generation would have elapsed. Presto, there you have your timetable for the end of the age. Now, obviously, it came and went. It didn't happen. And, of course, after 88, then the next date that was focused upon as the imminent likely date for the end of the age was the year 2000, the turn of the millennium. Of course, there's always something uh, very special in apocalyptic circles about uh, the change of a millennium. It hasn't happened very often, but when it does, you can rest assured there will be uh, very, very uh, much accentuated activity concerning speculation and theorization and, and the propagation of teaching and, and uh, predictions of the end of the age around the turn of a millennium, or even uh, the turn of a century uh, as well. That, you know, can be a very special time too for apocalyptic notions. But at any rate, Y2K, of course, supposedly there was to be an event that would cause uh, great mayhem and, and confusion and chaos in the world of modern technology because supposedly, according to the Y2K uh, premise, the computers uh, that had been brought into existence and had become so popularized in previous uh, recent times, these computers had not somehow been uh, properly calibrated or set to deal with the turn of the millennium. And there was going to be just this major meltdown in the technological world and in the computer world, and it was going to just wreak havoc. It was going to cause all types of extenuated uh, problems and hardships and, and 
you know, it was going to be a domino effect and one thing would lead to the other. And then before you know it, there would be chaos and mayhem enveloping the planet. And this somehow would weave into and tie into the, the script for the end of the age. Of course, Y2K was a big trigger click. It was a dud. Uh, apart from just a few random problems, uh, the whole prediction fell flat on its face. One individual who was really, really active in the promotion of the Y2K uh, notion and, and premise of, of catastrophe and chaos was Gary North. And he wrote extensively about it and, of course, also had a lot of... Uh, marketing-type enterprises that were woven into the, uh, the Y2K uh, prediction. Uh, because after all, if you've got catastrophe coming, then uh, you should prepare and you should uh, do things that would enable other people to prepare. So uh, there was quite a marketing bonanza and a uh, retail bonanza that ensued around the time of Y2K. I personally know of case histories where individuals stocked up in massive fashion on wheat uh, in sealed five-gallon buckets. I know of one case where a man even who had quite a bit of money, he actually bought a closed-down elementary school in Texas and filled it up with wheat uh, that was stored up. I think he believed that he was possibly going to be the next Joseph and have some type of a Joseph ministry. But at any rate, after uh, Y2K, then next came the Mayan calendar. Those Mayans, some for some reason, they stopped their calendar at the year 2012 and According to the ideas and teachings of, of certain uh, people uh, that were prominent on the landscape at the time, after Y2K was a dud and a flop, they began to recalibrate and fine-tune their uh, speculation that that mind calendar, to the effect that that mind calendar was, uh, was some type of a tip-off and giveaway, dead giveaway, that the Mayans way back when, that they somehow possessed the knowledge and understanding of the unfolding of events in this world and the reason that they stopped the calendar at 2012 was because that was going to be the end of the age, the end of time as we know it. And so many people, uh, they uh, scurried around and they prepared, believing that 2012 was going to be the magic date. 2012 came and went, and again, uh, nothing happened, basically. So uh, nothing, obviously, of, a, of an apocalyptic nature. Now, all along, you know, from the, the times that I began speaking of, and even well before that, there has been a steady deterioration of our conditions and circumstances. We have witnessed, kind of in slow motion, but certainly in real time, we've witnessed this dissolution, this devolving phenomenon where Western Christian civilization seems to be in this slow tailspin uh, going ever downward, plunging closer and closer and closer to uh, what would appear to be, just in practical terms, the point of no return. After all, how far down the, the rungs of the ladder of depravity and, and decrepit developments can you go before you finally reach rock bottom? And of course, just when you think maybe you're near rock bottom, you find out that there are more uh, rungs of the ladder that keep going down further and further and further. But it does get to the point where one begins to scratch his head and say, how much worse can it get? Well, it can get a lot worse. Uh, there are things that have not happened on American soil during the course of our history uh, that have happened in most other places in the world. I'm speaking of actual uh, warfare. Now, of course, during the war between the states, there was warfare on American soil, but it was not a foreign invader uh, as in another country 
uh, raiding or invading the country. It was another country in the sense that the Confederacy had lawfully and properly and biblically broken away. They had done it through their state legislatures and their duly constituted authorities. It was not rebellion. It was a, a, a very methodical and, and orderly and premeditated act on the part of the Confederate states to to break away as the original 13 colonies had broken away from Great Britain and formed a new nation. Now the Confederacy was doing the same thing for the same reason. Just as in the case of the colonies, they were breaking away because the mother country was hell-bent and intent on trampling their rights into oblivion and they uh, reached the point where they deduced that it was God's will that they uh, stand in the interest of Christian liberty, and they they made their stand. And of course, there had been revival in the colonies prior uh, to the uh, the Revolutionary War in seventeen seventy six era. But they broke away lawfully. It was something that was clearly blessed by God, and they were able to forge and form this new nation and break away from the monarchical and, and tyrannical authority of King George III and all of the grievances that they stipulated to and they listed in the Declaration of Independence. By the way, all of which are, are being visited and, and uh, rained down upon us today as they were uh, similarly being done to the Confederacy back in the 1860s. The Confederate states uh, deduced that their only answer to this uh, grave situation, namely the fraudulent violation of the contract uh, that the states had entered into, that it necessitated and it warranted and it justified their breakaway action, and that's what they did. They did it in orderly fashion through their state legislatures, and of course the response was an invasion from another country. It just so happened, though, that that country was uh, the national government of America, which invaded the Confederacy using Virginia as an avenue of invasion. And so we know that uh, bloodshed and warfare ensued on American soil and this tragic and terrible fratricidal war took the lives of over half of a million of, of the flower of, of the manly youth of America at that time. Brother was pitted against brother, the North against the South, and it was a horrific slugfest. It was a bloodletting of massive proportions, a blood sacrifice to uh, the, the false gods that are so prevalent in our world and are always waiting in the wings to seize opportunistically upon the errors and the sins of our people. And so other than that situation, there has never been an invasion from a foreign power. That certainly could happen, though, in the days ahead. Uh, we could uh, be subjected to some type of foreign invasion. Obviously, the most likely candidate for that to happen would be China. China has the, the manpower, obviously. They have the totalitarian system that could marshal that manpower. Uh, they have the ill-gotten resources that could uh, provide tactical and logistical support for such an invasion. And, of course, obviously, America today is low-hanging fruit. The body politic, the public in America, is, is woefully ill-prepared to deal with some type of foreign invasion. And, of course, God will allow uh, godless, heathen, murderous, alien people to come in at times and, and jerk a nod in, in the heads of his people. He will allow that as a form of, of uh, chastisement, of judgment, of remonstration with his people 
And one could logically, I believe, and persuasively argue that we've got it coming as a nation. Now, obviously, there's a remnant of people in America today who have been keen uh, to the fact that we are in perilous danger. For, for decades, actually, there's been a remnant of people who have been trying to sound the clarion call and and sound the alarm about the imminent danger that we're in. But by and large, the nation as a whole has turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to their pleas, to their cries of warning, like the, the uh, watchman on the wall who wants to avoid having the blood on his own hands. Many people, a remnant, if you will, throughout the past several decades, really since the end of World War II, even a little bit before World War II, uh, this clarion call has been issued forth uh, by those who had done their homework, had studied and recognized the perilous circumstances that we were wallowing in, but again, to no avail. Uh, there has not been a hearkening on the part of the body politic or the public to this message of warning. Instead, people have been, remained mesmerized and they have remained captivated in their intellect and in their mo emotions by uh, all of the free bread and circuses of our modern uh, American world system. Like Rome of old, the free bread and circuses was what was used to keep people distracted and keep them preoccupied. And the free bread, of course, in modern America would be the, the handouts from the federal government, especially. Of course, the state and local governments make handouts too, but they do so primarily only as the, the ill-gotten loot is distributed them from on high from the federal government. And, of course, the typical system that has evolved in America is that individuals uh, go to uh, the state government and, and they are rated in terms of their proficiency and their worthiness as a representative in terms of how much of the loot uh, they can acquire to send back to their home territory. And likewise, at the level of the national government, the representatives, the senators, the congressmen, they go to Washington, D.C., and they are evaluated and rated in terms of their success and proficiency as a senator or as a congressman by virtue of how much of the, the loot, the stolen money uh, that they can carve out and then earmark for and send back to their home territory, their home district, uh, boondoggle-type projects or payola-type projects where they reward uh, their heavy contributors or those that are uh, most closely aligned with them. It's a corrupt system from top to bottom, it reeks of corruption. You know, we hear the talk of systemic racism, supposedly, in our, our modern system, which, of course, is a total joke. It's ridiculous. It doesn't exist. But one thing we do have that's systemic is corruption. We have corruption that permeates every conceivable nook and cranny of our contemporary system. And for that fact alone, we are certainly deserving of judgment. Because remember, an unjust system of weights and measures is an abomination to the God of Israel, to our God. And we have allowed this unjust system of weights and measures. We've allowed the uh, fulfillment of all the planks of the Communist Manifesto, including the fifth plank, which is centralized uh, credit, which is basically, it's technically not in the hands of the state in our system today. It's worse than that. It's in the hands of a, of a private banking cartel, which is really the shadow government. You have kings and you have kingmakers. And of course, the old golden rule, he who has the gold rules. Uh, those who control the banking cartel in this world, who create money out of thin air, who then loan it into existence at face value, 
plus interest and collateralize it with real property and then use this illicit, unlawful, ungodly power to control the nations of the earth and their political figures, their prime ministers, their presidents, uh, whatever the, the leader of a country might be referred to as. They are all controlled by this illicit international monetary power that has, by the way, transcended centuries, not just generations, but centuries in terms of its continuation and its handing down of this illicit power from generation to generation through a familial construct that is inseparably interwoven with the Luciferian system of this world. So this is where we get down to brass tacks in terms of from where and from whence the power truly emanates, from whence and from where it derives. And so again, we have in our nation today and in our world today, but in America specifically, we have a great vulnerability because in 1913, we formally and officially adopted the Federal Reserve Act. And by the way, it was done in a corrupt way. It wasn't on the up and up. It wasn't legitimate any more than the 2016 presidential election was legitimate or those two Senate races in Georgia were legitimate. Now it has gotten to the point where the forces of evil are just simply so cocksure, they're so emboldened, they're so certain of their death grip and stranglehold upon everything that they uh, feel that it is uh, perfectly acceptable for them to perpetrate their crimes in broad daylight uh, in wide open type fashion. And then, of course, when there's any protestation to point the finger of condemnation at those who are pointing out the obvious corruption and fraud and to rail against them as though they somehow are evil and corrupt and insane. So we have uh, a situation where everything has been turned inside out and it is the epitome of the warning in Scripture in the prophet Isaiah where God says, Woe, woe unto them that call good evil and evil good. That should be our national motto today, uh, calling good evil and evil good, because that's what our nation is all about now, uh, almost consistently, 100% across the board. But we have allowed for this evil system, we've allowed for this pervasive control to every nook and cranny of our system, uh, there probably is not even a single elected official who is not more or less controlled by this paradigm, by this construct. And even those who put forth a certain measure of flowery, uh, impressive rhetoric to the contrary, even they too are part and parcel going along hand in glove with this corrupt system. A nation whose national government uh, feels at ease racking up tens of trillions of dollars of national debt, and then, of course, uh, paying more in interest to the loaners, to the source of this uh, make-believe wealth, paying more to them in interest than any other single expenditure of the national government, but still there being plenty left over to bribe everybody and dole out money in the, the billions of dollars, not just domestically, but all over the world. Uh, recent uh, budgetary uh, pieces of legislation that have been ramrodded through uh, the legislature have included extraordinarily uh, corrupt expenditures of a foreign nature in the realm of foreign aid, half a billion dollars to the Sudan and 
God knows how many millions of dollars to re-outfit the Sri Lankan Air Force and uh, substantial large sums of money being allocated for transgender studies in Pakistan and ad, ad infinitum, ad nauseum. The list goes on and on. It is just utterly and completely wicked, depraved, and insane that this is allowed to go forth. This is criminality of a staggering level and staggering proportions, and yet everybody accepts it in a very blasé fashion while they, in the meantime, remain preoccupied by the free bread and circuses because, again, they are getting cut in on the deal sufficiently to assuage whatever otherwise might be there in the way of con uh, conscience or apprehension. And then, of course, there's the circuses to keep everybody occupied. We just, of course, had another Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl, uh, 55, I believe now. The Super Bowl has now become some sort of uh, almost a national holiday. It's uh, the time when, if you go into the grocery store, they have all kinds of party trays and business gears around the celebra uh, celebratory nature of the Super Bowl and the presumption that, that a great majority of the population is going to be fixated upon the screen and watching the Super Bowl. And, of course, professional athletics has become a major forum for the advancement of Marxist philosophy and dogma. And, of course, it's also become a, a very, very major area for the promotion of integration and miscegenation and the putting up on a pedestal of the non-European races of people who have come to America and have found uh, extraordinary levels of success in the realm of athletics, uh, professional sports. And so the Super Bowl is all of that, plus, as a bonus, as icing on the cake or a cherry on the Sunday, the Super Bowl also always features an extravaganza at halftime, which never fails to weave in and sow into its content uh, Luciferian imagery and symbolism and messages, and it has become iconic in and of itself uh, for this reason, although many people who are uh, more shallow in their outlook and understanding, they don't uh, discern, they don't recognize the Luciferian characteristics of these halftime shows and these extravaganzas of entertainment uh, that are done at a time such as the Super Bowl. Now, if there's one bright spot to this Super Bowl, I guess it would be the fact that the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is this European man, this white guy uh, named Brady, who at 43 years of age, he has defied all of the uh, stereotypes uh, in the sense that, first of all, his athleticism and his uh, ability as a field general in the sport of professional football has earned him the recognition of being the greatest quarterback ever. Uh, his accomplishments certainly are unparalleled in terms of statistics. Uh, I believe now this makes seven Super Bowls that, that he has uh, orchestrated the victory of quarterbacking for his team. And, of course, uh, rumor has it as well that, that his political sympathies lean rightward, uh, that maybe he has an affinity for Donald Trump. In other words, he's uh, somewhat conservative and may be patriotic and constitutional in nature. And despite all of these facts, of course, he had this amazing track record with the New England Patriots, and then uh, he was uh, given up on by them and wound up at another team that didn't 
necessarily have likely Super Bowl prospects, but he uh, was successful in leading them to victory in this Super Bowl yesterday. So it is kind of a victory uh, for the things that Brady symbolizes. And so if there's any any bright spot at all in the, the whole Super Bowl saga, I guess it would be that. But thank God it's over, and we don't have to worry about it for another year. And, of course, you notice that no pandemic was strong enough to keep the Super Bowl from happening. Everything was worked out in a way that when it came time for the Super Bowl, lo and behold, it could uh, come off with clockwork efficiency and this major, major aspect of the circuses, part of the free bread and circuses uh, uh, equation, uh, this major uh, aspect of it was able to be uh, doled out and dished out to the people so that they could get their annual Super Bowl experience. Of course, the Super Bowl uh, is clearly, and and professional athletics are clearly, uh, an idolatrous fixation on the part of the public. It's one of America's major false gods, as is the entertainment industry in general and the the Hollywood uh, star-type figures who have, for so many decades now, played such a major role in the brainwashing of the American public. Well, we are, again, low-hanging fruit. We could experience a military invasion in the days ahead. Now, I'm not predicting it. I certainly hope it doesn't happen. Uh, Many people have kind of a chip-on-the-shoulder type attitude. A lot of the even the good old boy types, like, oh, yeah, let them try. You know, we've got, we've got so many guns. We've got so much ammunition. But let me tell you, folks, that if a disciplined, well-trained military force, such as that which exists in China or even North Korea, if a military force such as this were to invade American soil, they would make quick work of, of a significant percentage of our country in terms of the towns and the communities. It would not be difficult at all for them to, now of course if it happened you can rest assured that there would be treasonous betrayal on the part of our national government standing down or looking the other way. You know like on 9-11 when uh, NORAD stood down you know and supposedly we had these hijacked aircraft flying all around and NORAD, the North American Air Defense, stood down and didn't do anything about it, Uh, you can be almost certain that there would have been treasonous betrayal from within to the extent that our defenses would be deliberately compromised and an invading force such as the Chinese would be allowed to come in unhindered. They would be allowed uh, to carry out this invasion, and they would make quick work of much of Uh, America's uh, heartland even. Now, there would doubtlessly be some meaningful and uh, notable pockets of resistance. There would be uh, probably some areas where, you know, a very effective resistance force would rise up. It would not be a total sweeping cakewalk across the nation. And of course, there would ensue, in its aftermath and in its wake, there would ensue uh, doubtlessly a protracted period of guerrilla warfare and resistance. When the uh, Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, uh, there was a rapid takeover, but then, of course, there was a long period of of guerrilla warfare-type resistance on the part of the indigenous Afghan people. Now, 
Many would argue, and I tend to be in this uh, camp as well, that just like Vietnam, Afghanistan was a controlled, phony war for Russia, for the Soviet Union. Vietnam was certainly a phony war for America. Uh, Vietnam, a country that in its totality, North and South Vietnam, you know, isn't, I don't believe, even geographically as big as California. Vietnam could have been easily defeated if we had really been fighting a war. The Vietnam War could have been quickly won. But it wasn't a real war. It was a UN-controlled police action where America's troops were not allowed to win the war. They were hamstrung and they were uh, kept from being able to prosecute a genuine war take, to take out the enemy's strategic assets. They were not allowed to bomb or take out Rockefeller oil refineries in North Vietnam. So again, Vietnam was a phony war just as probably Afghanistan was for the Soviets. It was their Vietnam in a way. And of course, similarly, the uh, actions taken by the American military in Iraq and Afghanistan are not as advertised. They had nothing to do with Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda and Saddam Hussein and uh, making their respective countries safe for democracy. They had everything to do with what the ultimate end result of those wars has been, which is that Iraq's oil, which is very plentiful, now flows through Afghanistan, through a pipeline through Afghanistan to China. And of course, that is one of the major reasons for uh, those protracted conflicts and theaters of operation for the American military. It's all part of the building and constructing of the new world order. Of course, all done in the name of freedom and democracy and helping these poor enslaved peoples and taking down these wicked dictators, etc., etc. All of the classic bromides, all of the classic propaganda of war. Remember, truth is always the first casualty of war. But this possible invasion coming to America, who knows? Again, I'm not predicting it. I'm just pointing out that it's imminently possible. It would kind of make sense for God to allow something like that to happen. I mean, what else do you do to get the attention of a nation and a people who are content to allow more than 50 years to elapse where you are murdering and slaughtering babies in the womb to the point where statistically the womb has become the most dangerous place to be in America, more dangerous than being a cop in Chicago, downtown Chicago. And so what else might a God of Scripture do to get the attention of a people who are so callous uh, who are so immune to the consequences of their error that they can sit by and allow uh, such a dreadful crime as the abortion debacle that grew out of Roe versus Wade in 1973. And that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the travesties and atrocities that America has sanctioned and tolerated as a people. Where were the churches when the Supreme Court ruled that there could be no more prayer in school. And remember back then, there wasn't any debate as to what the prayer would be about or consist of. Back in those days, we didn't have to worry about some weird Satanist wanting to lead prayer in school. We didn't have to worry about Muslims wanting to have an imam come in and lead prayer. It was Christian back then. That would be the prayer. And yet the Supreme Court said, nope, no more prayer. In effect, expelling God from the classroom, as it's been said. Now, of course, the classroom itself was already a fulfillment of the 10th plank of the Communist Manifesto 
because Marx said in the Communist Manifesto, the 10th plank, that to have communism, you have to have free education, public education for all children. And so that's what our government school had evolved into or was evolving into at that time. But the Supreme Court nevertheless made this ruling, no more prayer in school. And what did the Christian parents of the nation do? What did the the myriad Christian churches of the nation, Bible-believing, Bible-thumping churches, what did they do in response? Well, they just yawned and went back to sleep. Of course, instead of doing that, here's what they should have done. They should have, they should have risen up. They should have stood up in mass as one, and they should have recognized that what they had in common was under such vicious assault that what they differentiated on paled into into insignificance by comparison. And so they should have recognized that. They should have stood up as one, and they should have said, okay, here you go, government. This is our message to you, and we are all signatories to this declaration uh, across denominations, uh, across political uh, persuasions, etc. We are standing up as one. And we are announcing and declaring to you, the government, that as of the following date, and and of course set a date in the the very, very uh, imminent time frame, we are in mass pulling all of our children out of your schools. And we will either advocate for and equip our parishioners for home education, or we will establish out of the the funds and resources of our respective ministries. We will establish Christian schools in our communities, and we will totally boycott your government school system from henceforth. Now, if that had been done, imagine what the consequences and what the effects would have been. But instead, the false teacher stood up and and assured everyone that somehow that God was still in control and that he would continue to use their boys and girls and their children as Christian witnesses in these schools, even more so now that they were going to become more havens of, greater havens of godlessness, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, they put a spin on it that justified their lethargy, their apathy, their indifference to the astonishing implications of that Supreme Court decision. And, and we could, of course, go on and on and talk about other Supreme Court decisions that should have elicited a similar dramatic resistance type action. Maybe we will in subsequent broadcasts. Uh, broadcasts uh, decisions such as Brown versus Board of Education. And, of course, also uh, the decision regarding the Ten Commandments not being able to be posted. All of these Supreme Court decisions and many more over the years, uh, later on, uh, Supreme Court decisions relative to... Uh, sodomite issues and uh, homosexual rights, et cetera, et cetera. The people have stood by indifferent, apathetic, and have allowed for these evils to take root and flourish in the land. And now, of course, again, we are low-hanging fruit, deserving of whatever level of punishment God might allow other wicked, heathen, alien forces to subject us to and mete out against us. What I'm speaking of here should be cause for great fear and trepidation on the part of right-thinking people. And yet I am concerned that for the most part, 
people fail to realize the import and the implications of what we're facing. In fact, many have bought into a false hope in the persona of and in the form of Donald Trump, believing that Donald Trump was God's man for the hour, uh, that he was going to somehow uh, straighten the mess out, drain the swamp in Washington, D.C., and set things in order. And, of course, this has been, for the most part, this has been a pie-in-the-sky delusion. It's been a pipe dream. As I am very fond of reminding everybody, there is no solution to be had at the national level. The only hope is to invoke the power of the Word of God and to to lay hold of those weapons of our warfare that Paul spoke of, which are not carnal but mighty, uh, to the bringing down or pulling down of strongholds, to seek after and invoke the promises of Second Chronicles 7.14, which says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's our only hope, my dear friends. And of course, it can only begin at the local level. If a president today, and this doesn't mean that a president should not do this, but if a president today were to do that which is right and proper in the eyes of God and which is commanded by Scripture, if a president were to stand up and say, okay, folks, here's what we're going to do. Everybody get your Bibles out, and we're going to have a Bible study. And I, the president, the highest executive authority in this land, duly uh, constituted under our constitutional founding document, I am going to mount the bully pulpit, as it's been called, and I'm going to turn it into a real pulpit, and I'm going to explain to you, the electorate, the public, the body politic, I'm going to explain to you where we have erred as a people. I'm going to show you from the law of God where we have erred, where we have made grievous mistakes, where we have turned our back on the God of our fathers, and I'm going to proclaim to you what the preachers of our preachers of our land have failed to claim, proclaim to you. I'm going to explain to you what we must do to effectuate revival in our land and lay the groundwork for the possibility, and it's only a possibility, of the restoration of divine favor. A real president functioning according to hardcore truth uh, would would continue on and go so far as to say, now, ladies and gentlemen, I must warn you and admonish you that maybe we've gone too far. We might be beyond the proverbial point of no return, but we need to have prayer and we need to have fasting and we need to put on sackcloth and ashes and we need to weep for the murder of the unborn and we need to weep for all of the grievous, uh, horrific crimes that have been committed by uh, our people within government and uh, throughout the fabric of society. We need to repent of the allowance and toleration and sufferance of sodomy and the homosexual uh, movement which has proudly and flagrantly strutted uh, throughout our streets. We need to restore the law of God. We need to restore the punishments that God has ordained for 
certain crimes against nature. We need to restore the, the judgments of God. We need to look at the scripture when it says, suffer not a witch to live. And when it says, they that do such things are worthy of death. And we must begin to reinstitute the law of God. Now, if a president were to get up and turn the bully pulpit into a literal pulpit and begin to tell the hardcore truth, I think we all know what would happen, don't we, in terms of, of the vitriolic, uh, just absolutely insane reaction that would be forthcoming from the left, from the, the Marxist forces that have taken control of the levers of power in our world today. They would go absolutely berserk. They would go ballistic. And yet this is what should happen. Even if, if uh, they marshaled their forces and resources and stormed the White House and dragged the, the president out for saying these things from uh, the bully pulpit and tarred and feathered him or uh, hung him from the nearest tree, even if that were to be the case, it would still be the right thing for a true, hardcore, God-serving, truth-speaking and seeking president to do. And of course, that's what I would do if I were president. I wouldn't mince words. I wouldn't waste any time. I would do that which God has commanded and ordained. Now, something else might happen if a president did that. There might be miraculous divine intervention. And when the insane, berserk, wicked forces came against a president standing in this manner, God might zap them dead from on high with lightning bolts out of heaven. <laughs> Who knows? He might cause them like he did in scripture to turn against each other, the, the different factions and kill each other. Uh, he might dispatch that angel uh, who killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night and have him go on a, a killing rampage, killing untold millions of these wicked reprobate uh, forces. And remember, God gives people over to reprobation when they receive not the love of the truth. He gives them over to strong delusion. Their conscience becomes seared with a hot iron. And very often there's only one solution. He must then, of course, destroy said people. Remember in the days of Noah, God destroyed millions of people, did he not? The door of the ark closed. And I like to say, uh, you know, after the ark was... Uh, sealed up and uh, the rains were falling and the waters of the deep were being broken up and the people were flailing and drowning and experiencing the horror and the terror of this great event of judgment. Remember, Noah did not unfurl a banner off the back of the ark that said, smile, God loves you. I don't think that happened. Well, folks, we're running out of time. I want to take the time now to give you an address and telephone number and uh, email uh, P.O. Box 274, 274, P.O. Box 274, Etowah, E-T-O-W-A-H, Tennessee, 37331. That's P.O. Box 274, Etowah, E-T-O-W-A-H, Tennessee, 37331. Or you can call 423-241-7902, or you can email voiceofliberty1776 at gmail.com. So we welcome your communication, look forward to hearing from you. We have much more to convey and to communicate and, and look, forward to being doing, uh, look forward to being able to do that in the days ahead. Uh, we're not just all about here at the Voice of Liberty diagnosing the problem. There are some 
solutions that we can avail ourselves of. We hope to get into that in a, a very, very major big way in the days ahead because it's coming down to crunch time, not in terms of the end of the age, I don't believe, uh, but in terms of the end of America as we know it. And for many people, that is tantamount to the end of the world. America as we know it, what we've always taken for granted, is uh, precariously positioned right now in grave, imminent danger of being eviscerated and destroyed and torn down and laid waste to. These are not words of hyperbole. These are not exaggerations. If anything, I'm understating the truth and the reality of the matter. We must here in the immediate offing, we must begin to marshal our resources and consecrate them toward doing that which is scripturally ordained and mandated to position ourselves and our posterity to potentially be on the receiving end of divine deliverance and divine favor and divine provision. Yes, this is what we must do. And if we fail in this regard, then we will doubtlessly succumb to the proverbial fate worse than death. If you wonder how bad things can get, believe you me, they can and will get much worse than they are today. We are not on a trajectory for healing and repentance and revival and restoration right now. Instead, we continue to be on a downward trajectory, in a downward spiral plunging down further and further and further and closer and closer to the utter depths of decadence and depravity. There must be a point on the map, singularly speaking, if necessary, where truth is marshaled and invoked in a way that is befitting of biblical truth and that a stand is made by a people called by his name, a certain people. This can't be just anybody. It must be the people called by his name who will be willing to humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. Then and only then might we witness the blossoming forth of genuine revival, of genuine repentance, of genuine pouring out of the power and the protection of the God of Scripture upon his people. He has done this before, many times on behalf of his people. And there's no reason why he can't or won't do it today other than the fact that to date, as of yet, we are yet to see a level and degree of dedication to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth that would be sufficient to position the people of God, a remnant of them at least, to be a force, a cadre 
that might be raised up to be in the vanguard of the turning around of the debilitating circumstances that we now face. Now, there's no way, no matter what happens, that we're getting out of this situation without a remarkable degree of, unfortunately, bloodshed and misery and suffering and death because the wages of sin are death, the Scripture tells us. The Scripture tells us, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And that applies similarly to a society, a civilization, or a nation of people. We are going to reap a very bitter harvest in the days ahead. And it is imminent and it is going to be forthcoming. But simultaneously with that bitter harvest representing the judgments of God falling upon a people who have hardened their hearts and turned their backs on him, simultaneously with that, there can also be the antithesis experience in terms of revival and restoration and resuscitation. And that's what we need to champion. And that's what we need to be on the cutting edge of seeking to bring to fruition. There must be, at the very least, singularly, somewhere in the land where we begin to call for and seek the bringing forth of these types of circumstances and events. We will talk about this, God willing, in the days ahead. And until then, I look forward uh, to being with you again and again and again, God willing. But in the meantime, sincerely and earnestly wish for God's provision and protection and enlightenment and empowerment to be upon you and upon your life. Such preacher men today to show our people the way to redeem their lost liberty. The fires of hell cannot prevail against one man who'll take a stand from the pulpit, exposed tyranny, and teach his people liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights, granted them. Time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, From that law, we will keep our people free. Through the jury, we'll guard our liberty, liberty to exercise all their God given rights granted them at the time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God. Not guilty, we choose to acquit The state was wrong To charge him this law is not fit For a people